0: we're still having to have such deep and entrenched conversations about sustainability and practice and purpose and what that means for us as individuals, but also for the industry.
1: Welcome to Careers in Fashion.
2: podcast series that supports you in preparing for a sustainable career in fashion my name is Michelle and today alongside my co-host Asia we will be speaking with three guests on the topic of embracing your identity
3: thank you Michelle my name is Asia Devast-Sterling I'm an enterprise consultant within LCF Graduate Futures And what I do is help students uh, who want to start their own businesses, freelance practices or consultancies to reach their career ambitions.
2: So equality, diversity and inclusion remains key drivers with regards to students deciding the types of businesses they want to work within. LCF, equality, diversity and inclusion are at the heart of how we work. We want to ensure all our students have equal opportunities to enter an inclusive industry. Within today's conversation, we will be speaking with Daniel Peters, Lamisa Khan, and Amisha Dava, And we will be looking at specifically how individuals, beliefs, and cultural identities play a part within the workplace. We will also be discussing the social responsibilities and expectations with regards to inclusion. So I'd like to hand over to my guest speakers. First of all, Daniel, would you like to introduce yourself?
0: Sure. Thank you very much for having me. Firstly, um, I'm Daniel Peters and I'm the founder of the Fashion Minority Report. Um, FMR is a consultancy um, that I launched in July 2020 in the wake of the Black Lives Matter movement. And ultimately, we work with fashion clients and creative companies to create more
2: equality within their businesses. And I'd like to hand over to Lamisa if you'd like to introduce yourself.
4: Hi, I'm Namisa Khan, I am one of three co-founders of Muslim Sisterhood. Um, Muslim Sisterhood is a community that centres the experiences of Muslim women within the creative industries. We work across um, fashion, publishing, film, events, and much more. I also work as the culture and community executive at female-led agency, The Digital Fairy.
2: And Amisha, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Yes,
1: thank you. Um, I'm Amisha Davda. I uh, have just left Corn Ferry as a a principal consultant sitting in their global D&I team. I now work independently and have my own consultancy, Equal Consultancy, where I work with large-scale clients delivering equality, diversity and inclusion programmes. And I'm also a woman's ambassador for the Cartier Foundation.
2: Fantastic. Thank you. So when I look at the fashion brands within industry today, I see that there is a wealth of diversity with regards to imagery, age, ethnicity, religion, size, and also disability. The foundations of our industry is the expression of individuality through identity, the products and merchandise made, cultures, of the organisations and the beliefs of the consumers. Tell me, how does cultural beliefs has it been embraced since you first started in the industry with regards to being diverse and inclusive, Daniel? Um,
0: I think in many ways, when I joined the industry a number of years ago, um, without giving my age away, you know, I started at Burberry when I was about nineteen in head office, um, which was a while ago, but. I think, and I, I was doing a workshop earlier today where we speak about, you know, kind of are we anti-racist yet as a, as a position? And I think I said that there's this other zone within fear, learning and growth zone. And I think my, my, I had a bit of an ignorant zone to the fact that I wasn't necessarily as um, present in seeing that I was one of very few black or brown people in head office when I was at that younger age. I was just skippling merrily through, wearing my bow tie and my skinny jeans, thinking I was Beyonce, Um, not necessarily thinking about who wasn't coming in behind me. Um, And I think I've gained a lot more of that awareness since kind of just 2016, going on my own journey. But ultimately, you know, I think that there's been a shift in culture generally and how it's perceived and how we embrace it more uh, vividly you know the fashion industry has never had a real global reckoning on this scale before um you know we had uh the conversation with italian vogue roughly maybe say 10 years ago where they did the kind of black issue and that felt like a really poignant moment but have we had we moved forward much from that time other than in 2020 when everybody had to look much more inwardly and see what we weren't talking about and to see who we weren't celebrating and to see what we weren't spotlighting Mm -hmm. in terms of communities, organizations, or people in general. And it's become a lot more vibrant. It's become a lot more open. You know, I think you said before, obviously there's a lot more diversity with regards to imagery, size, um, religion, and so on. I wouldn't necessarily say there's a wealth of it. I would say that there's an expansion from where it was and that we've still got such a long way to go. And it it kind of just leads me onto a point I'm personally reflecting on now of, you know, Rana Plaza was in 2013, and we're what, nine years on from that, but we're still having to have such deep and entrenched conversations about sustainability and practice and purpose and what that means for us as individuals, but also for the industry and i'm now thinking where will we be in another kind of 8 years with this conversation around diversity equity and inclusion because i think the e is the part that's often missed it, that's missed out the equitable or equity side of it so for like i possibly not even answer the question other than saying we've take we've taken steps since i started at you know a company like burberry so many years ago do i think that we've made enough moves no we're like at the we're at the point of the iceberg where it's like i can't even see land at this point but (laughs) at the same time land is in sight like if you know whilst that might seem like a, a a contrast in a weird way but land is there and it's just how are we navigating our way towards it
2: I like the way you said that, almost like land ahoy, we can see it and we're getting there, but um, it's still a little way to go. Yeah,
3: thank you for that response, Daniel. It was so insightful. And continuing upon that point, what I'm noticing more and more often is that brands are using uh, wider cultural events and movements within their marketing. So, how do you think the creative industry now reflects the cultural diversity of modern society, both internally within their staffing population and externally in their visual identity and value proposition? I know you kind of touched upon that, but I wonder if you could explore a bit more.
0: Uh, something I guess I touch on sometimes, uh, uh, you know relatively often is that front-facing we can see the diversity often and we see that in our runway shows we see that in our campaigns but we're only really really seeing changes here because you know there's colorism um, which is very prevalent and actually showcasing different shades of black or brown whatever it might be you know we've typically looked at it with this lens of fairer Dark, like fairer black skin or brown skin is what we're going to sell. And actually, having a straight weave and a fringe, you know, now actually we're, we're, we're allowing for more natural hairstyles to be showcased in front of the lens, but actually behind the scenes, you know, that's where the real work needs to be done. Because actually, a lot of companies are quick to jump on, you know, the social media bandwagon of saying, in 2020 we stand with black lives and so on and so forth and there was a bit of conversation around the rise in asian hate crimes and anti-semitism and stuff like that but you know actually instead of going out to your consumers with a message of solidarity talk to your team which is the thing that we do at fmr talk to your team about how they feel about the culture that they inhabit because actually they're the ones who on a daily basis are the you know are embracing or not embracing what you're doing and talking about so for me it's really there's not enough work always being done internally and not like i'm trying to put this company on blast or anything like that but um it was uh jacques humes or jacques um who had that kind of quite infamous picture now of you know they cast all of these black models which was wonderful you know going down the runway but then on the reverse of that looking at the team or the people behind the scenes it was a very distinct shade of white. Um, and actually, that in itself, whilst the sentiment of, of shocking, showcasing more diversity on the front of it was, was great. Actually, what are you doing behind the scenes? And that really, for me, is the conversation to be had. How many companies are, are, are actually putting resources into them, underrepresented or marginalized or minority voices in the business, to allow them to have a bigger voice and actually what is their not exactly their succession but what are the building blocks you're putting in place to grow people who are already there before we look to bring in existing like outside talent work with what you've got and actually build the right right foundation so you can then bring in Um, additional people. Um, I
4: just wanted to add to like the points you just made I think like there's definitely been a broader consideration of diversity within the fashion and creative spaces but I think the intersections that are often represented tend to be very much like visible indicators of difference so like race or being visibly Muslim or visibly Sikh but I also think a lot of this representation is only achieved on like a surface level Um, for example like Halima Aden who was considered the first hijabi model, quit the industry in like November 2020, um, citing that a lot of the practices within the fashion industry compromised her beliefs. And she felt like a minority within a minority already as a black Muslim hijab wearing woman. Um, And that like towards the end of her career, she felt that she had lost control of her identity as a Muslim black woman, um, because the teams that, behind the camera didn't represent those that were placed in front of it and I think if you don't have people behind the camera that represent the intersections of those in front of it you're never really going to have an authentic campaign or a deeper understanding of the needs or requirements of those people so in Halima's case there were instances where her the way that she wore her hijab was compromised because it didn't fit the stylistic values of the brand. And what is, for me, I guess I think like what is the point of having someone different as a part of your campaign if you're not really going to stand by what they believe in and what's important to them? I think, like you said, Daniel, when you walk into a lot of these um, institutions and fashion houses, are still very much made up of like white middle class um, and upper class people. Which means that when you come from a marginalized background, when you come from a working class background, when you come from a religiously different background you have to make yourself palatable to be listened to um and i just don't think like i think we look at creative spaces and assume that they're liberal and like they're at the forefront of making change but actually we don't really see there's a lack of transparency behind the camera and we don't really see the teams that make up make the decisions um just to elaborate on that like uh, in my own collective we've had like so many experiences where brands have reached out to us and they want to work with us without having when it comes to like culturally relevant calendar moments like Eid or um, some other religious holiday that they think um, that they've googled and think that we practice well actually like had they had someone Muslim on their team or in their company they could have like fact-checked this and worked out whether it was worth reaching out to us in the first place. I think also there tends to be like the middleman of the agency as well Um, and the agencies that people work with need to be hiring more diverse people because we're at this point now where brands are considering the spending power of black and brown people, people from religious minorities without really understanding them on a fundamental level.
2: And it kind of leads me into my next question, if I'm honest, and it's for you, Nisa. So across the world, we're navigating a new norm with regards to culture identity, especially um, since COVID and since the big Matter movement, and since um, eyes have been opened, if you like, with regards to cultural differences. Do you think that the creative industry has adapted well enough to these events which has then spun on to become, like you said, a calendar person or a token person in front of the camera.
4: So, like I said, I do think the creative industries are far more progressive than other spaces. Maybe it's because we tend to be made up of a younger, more culturally aware demographic um, that tend to be active on, like, social media platforms already. But, again, I do think it's... it's It tends to be on a surface level um, and at the top who is really making the decisions. Um, I also think like this shift um, and maybe the smoother change for the creative industry um, lays at the fact that like millennial and Gen Z demographic for the millennial and Gen Z demographic there's less boundaries between the professional and the personal so both of our professional Um, exist in and our personal lives live side by side both in the physical world and like the digital world Um, and it means that we're less likely to compromise on our political values and we're quite open about what we believe in and what we think is like right Um, and in a way that's been really productive in like changing narratives within the creative industry um, and pushing brands that we support and love to do better. Um, I think we're less fearful of pushing back and demanding more from the world that we exist in um and like this can be seen particularly when considering the BLM movement or the BDS movement as a part of the broader com- um, conversation around like Palestinian liberation mm-hmm. um I mean like Bella Hadid recently spoke out about being Palestinian and, and um her political beliefs being erased when she's been wa- like when working with particular brands or in the in the fashion industry Um, and I think like younger people are quite politically aware um, which means that brands are having to be more politically minded when trying to tap into their this younger audience Um, again like I think this feeds into the idea of brands having to like appeal to the spending power of different demographics Mm -hmm. but also I think like it's a first step in pushing other industries to do the same and be more open-minded and be more vocal. Um, And I guess like, I personally think the fashion is political um, and deeply so, so hopefully these conversations continue and we carry on seeing this change. But again, I think when it comes to like, cut calendar moments and like brands showing their allegiance for BLM or like sustainability or Palestine, is it at a superficial, um, level is it just like pandering to um to like conversations or are they actually making like meaningful change at a deeper level? Um, I think like there's good examples when you think of like the work Nike does or um corporate social responsibility that other brands carry out. Um, are they just doing this to like greenwash or pinkwash or is this actually creating systemic change?
2: You've spoken about what the brands are doing and the fact that they are actually embracing different cultures and they are embracing different identities. What challenges have you seen brands or organisations faced with their effort to reflect the principles of inclusion with regards to faith and also culture?
4: I think it's quite a difficult question unless you know what's happening like behind the scenes. Um, from like personal experience I think when we work with brands as a collective we always push to have diverse teams behind the camera um, because it's really important to just get access to having a seat at the table or opening doors for other people Um, we've been really lucky because we as soon as we started very early on in our work we got picked up by brands and publications which meant that we and I think part that's partly due to like the way we present ourselves and the way that we speak it makes us a lot more palatable than someone who doesn't present themselves in the same way but it's really important for us as a platform to use that and be able to open opportunities for others um who might come from more traditional backgrounds um I think when it comes to agencies and brands, it really is about like hiring a more diverse team that will be able to understand different intersections. Um, You can really tell when a campaign hasn't been authentically produced, when it hasn't been made um, by POC and non-binary and, sorry, when, let me start that sentence again. Um, You can really tell when a campaign isn't authentically produced Um, when a team doesn't represent those in front of those that are at the forefront of their campaign because it it just shows Um, it really makes a difference when you hire a set designer who has the same culture as the idea that you're going for or a makeup artist or a stylist understands your your Muslim hijabi model because you're more likely to see your talent feel more comfortable and flourish when you have people who understand their lifestyle choices behind the camera and not asking them to compromise. But I do think there's a long way to go with that. Brands and agencies have to put their hands up and own up that like they're not the best to make these decisions um, and be able to like hand out these opportunities to people who are able to.
3: Okay, thank you, Lamisa. Um, I think that you touched upon some really important uh, areas there, specifically how there's quite a long way to go uh, within the industry to make sure that culture and identity is kind of um, mirrored behind the scenes as much as it is within Im- imagery. So keeping that in mind, as we move into kind of new realms of identity, when you think about the ed- advent of the metaverse and AI and AR, how do you see trends within the industry incorporating beliefs and culture into the digital age and the future? And I'd like to point this question to Amisha and hear your um, point of view on how kind of identity is going to be portrayed within the digital realm moving forward potentially.
1: Yeah, it's such an interesting question and it really puts diversity inclusion and equity at the forefront of technology like it ties them both together like they've never been thought about before because we've never been on this cusp of technology taking off I'm saying technology like I'm really really old um, but technology taking off in this sort of way before and having diversity, equity, and inclusion being such a hot topic right now, making sure that every organisation I'm working with is completely committed to moving forward and taking them both, weaving them together and taking them forward together is a really, really exciting space. And one thing that I've seen a lot of brands do um, really, really well, people like Charlotte Tilbury, Using AI, especially when they're coming to recruiting and when they are looking at opening that door for others and looking quite competency based instead of having those traditional ways of recruiting. So, for example, answering. Lots of competency-based questions um, It all being anonymized, it being used with AI to be ranked and then going forward. So no recruiter sees anyone's name. We're literally reading. So you might not even be from that industry. You might just be a graduate. You might be have no experience whatsoever that you will not be able to see this unless you've answered those questions really, really well. And you could just do something amazing and really opening those doors Something incredible that happened sort of in the AR space and the metaverse space and seeing this grow over the pandemic was was seeing the beauty industry really um, was, was shining the light, being that forefront runner and integrating that tech into beauty. So at the start of the pandemic, it was estimated by McKinsey. That sales would fall by 30% because we everything was closed, we weren't going anywhere, and why would we need makeup if we're sitting at home in our loungewear and just, you know, on Zoom? And what people like like L'Oreal did. Um, and Separo was they bought in to AR and how they sold. So they really looked at trying on a lipstick and trying having a little button next to buying it because shoppers were just not confident in buying something they hadn't tried on. Um, as we all wouldn't be, we're not gonna go out and buy a lipstick. If we've not tried it on our skin color, does it, does it reflect what we want it to reflect? and they were one of the early adopters in, in the pandemic doing this and that really accelerated their growth and accelerated how they saw diversity and inclusion because it became this inclusive way of selling their products and I know both both the guests before me have, have talked about how It's not been as inclusive as we would like it to be sort of behind the scenes and this really takes that away from from it, it takes that sort of bias away from it because we're using pure technology if it's used in the right way and if we're using it in an inclusive way. And what happened with that was that the metaverse, Google and uh, Facebook then partnered with L'Oreal and they saw sales rise um, 45% um, during the pandemic instead of it dropping. So really thinking about those sort of early adopters and how they used inclusivity at the forefront of mixing that with with technology and i think this is like a really incredible journey we're on and something we're really going to see moving forward there's a there's a bank in the us varro and that promotes accessible inclusive financial systems for all americans and what they've done is they have an ar filter so anyone who wants to put their face on a dollar bill they can actually do that and they can use that as a form of protest um almost like a different type of protest if they don't agree with who's on the dollar bill so using ar really to push forward and to think about protest and different ways of of bringing D D E de and i to the forefront for others um, so it's really exciting journey that we're on in this sort of digital age of seeing where we're going to go next with what brands are going to be doing
3: That's um, really, really interesting examples of how modern technology is kind of being used um, in the case for creating a more equitable, diverse and inclusive uh, world. So thank you for sharing that. I had no idea about, about some of those. So thank you. Um, What I want to do is go back to the fact that this podcast is about the students uh, who go to LCF who want to kind of make themselves as employable as possible. And we're seeing um, more often than not, our graduates are trying to pursue careers uh, with employers who have... um, Required transferable skills and strong ethics, so like going back to what you just said Amisha about that form of protest within EDI and how important that is to to people, particularly the younger generation. So how would you advise students um, when they're showcasing their beliefs and identity without overcompensating?
1: I would say that's a really personal question i think that comes down to and if i use myself as an example um i didn't really recognize that i was a brown person and i was surrounded by people that were not brown until very very late on after i had i had graduated university and i think that we're all on this different journey of understanding our identity um also, I didn't also identify then, I always just thought I was Indian, but since I've, been, I've done this work about 10 years ago, so definitely showing my age, but doing the work on myself and getting deeper and deeper into what I think I believe in and my ethics and my morals, I then realised that actually I'm not just Indian, I'm East African Indian and that is actually my identity. Why is it that when the Olympics are on or when the Commonwealth Games are on, I'm more drawn to Kenya and Tanzania where my parents are from than I am to India? And so I think that's a real journey you have to go on. And it also depends on how much you want to push, how confident you are and how secure you are in yourself, of how much you want to test those boundaries and move that protest forward. I think there are so many different ways and interesting ways that we can push that forward, but it all depends on how you want to do it so maybe you don't feel like you can post all over Instagram or all over LinkedIn or whatever form of social media maybe you you're going to hold conversations I know that they're called in sort of inverted commas courageous conversations maybe you want to hold something like that maybe it's about doing the reading and doing all of the the foundational knowledge behind it So I think it's really different um, for everyone. And I'd love to bring the other guest speakers into this, because I I wonder if you've protested in different ways that I might not have been um, and and really brought that to the forefront of your
4: careers. Um, I guess for me, I've always been quite like outspoken about my political beliefs. Um, And I think part of that is very much driven by my faith. Um, I think like as a Muslim person it's really important for me to like stand strongly um, behind my moral principles um, because I believe that I'll be accountable for them beyond this life Um, but saying that I do think that it is different for everyone and it's not always um, productive or easiest to be quite public about your political opinions i think like there's other ways to make an action like to make actionable differences um and you don't always need to have um like kind of make these public displays of protest um for you to be making a meaningful difference
1: just coming off that i i really resonate with that because some of my clients i work in the public sector and i've actually lost contracts because I have been politically vocal and no matter the political climate, when you're working in the public sector, um, which might not be applicable to some of the students, but when you are looking public sector wise, I was scrutinized in every way, shape or form. I really went on a learning journey, but I needed to like, keep my mouth shut a little bit um if I wanted to be successful so I think it is really really difficult about where you sit with that protest and how confident you feel about that your political stance not coming back around on you and that might I might not have got it right but I think this is a journey that we're all on and we learn in our own different ways
4: a hundred percent I think like something to add to that is also like it's a really huge skill to be able to um, speak your mind in a diplomatic way, in a productive way that will change people's mind rather than come across as confrontational or aggressive. I think like it is really difficult to navigate when you feel really passionately about something, when it's a part of your your belief system, when it's a part of your principles as a, as a human but like there is a way to present your points and have productive conversation to make others see the world in the same way Um, because your lived in experiences shape the way that you see the world but not everyone has had the same experience so they're not going to understand the world in the same way. Um, I think it's a lot more it's easy to go on a rant on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter but how are you having those meaningful meaningful conversations in real life like how are you changing people's minds in real life how are you bringing people um to the table to have these conversations you know um I would say um when it comes to anything like this always act in a way that considers other people's feelings um that is empathetic that comes from a place of love and kindness because at the end of the day that's what this work is kind of about like cool you might have gotten it all out by being angry but what have you done that will make a change beyond yourself and releasing your emotions Um, how are you opening doors for other people um, what change are you making as an individual in the spaces that you're in thank you both
3: for that I think um talking about mindsets and kind of how your own has shifted towards how you feel about your own identities and how you have those conversations with others and their mindset is such an important topic of conversation so i'd like to flip it around and um, ask daniel if he sees the industry kind of being open to this and seeing if there are any new opportunities and roles that you anticipate um opening up in reflection of the shifting mindsets that we have Um, as individuals within the workplace
0: in reflection also of the previous point I understand that I've been palatable since day one of entering the industry like my name the way I speak the way I dress has always put me in a position of being palatable it's always made me be the right cultural fit but at the same time I've always moved in the way that I want to move Um, I'm not, I'm not working towards doing things for anybody else's benefit. I've always brought a sense of belonging and individuality, which is key. And I think for any student approaching the workforce, that's not to say walking with all of the confidence and swagger in the world that you think you're the new creative director of a business or brand, like understand that you're there to learn, to grow, but also to contribute. Um, And I think that's incredibly true of looking at the new opportunities that kind of out there now is is the understanding that you have the potential to do many of the different roles that are out there. And obviously, as our industry expands into much more digital space, there are new roles opening up in new mediums and actually also understanding that you've got transferable skills. So not always to be so wedded to what you perceive to be the exact route that you want to go down. I've been a runway show produ- runway show producer, I've been an event producer, I've been I've run my own pop-up shops. Now I've run a diversity inclusion consultancy. Not all of them are linked, but actually they've all trodden a particular path that's got to me got me to where I am now. And I think as the industry again is shifting into a new space, you know, we look at when e-commerce was introduced um as a as a shopping concept, everybody's like, "Oh god, I'm not going to shop online, I go to a store." But actually, you know, we now look at retailers such as ASOS, who have five thousand employees, kind of across different parts of the world. We now look at Farfetch, who has six thousand members of staff, kind of globally. And actually, what that's done has actually is created a ripple effect in terms of different sectors, in terms of them opening up their minds to what possibilities are. And I think it's on both sides of that table, basically. I guess is what I'm saying that as a as a student or some looking to enter the workforce, being open to new opportunities that might not always be aligned with what you were trying to pursue. But also it was a workforce. On one hand, being um, at the forefront of change and delivering roles that are responsive to what's happening in the market, but also not put putting barriers in front of students or any kind of prospective employee, you know, from a job spec in terms of saying you must go to a top tier uh, You know university or that you must have this type of degree and so on like I didn't enter the workforce all of those years ago with a university degree because I decided that actually I would learn a lot better being in the workspace Um, and part of that was being at Selfridges and offering my time one day a week to the visual merchandising team to actually learn and actually they were the ones who put me forward for the role at Burberry you know so interestingly it's like i i think again it's just being adaptive responsive and present
3: thank you daniel some really key words there that i think um uh we kind of try and reiterate whenever we speak to students or graduates just kind of understanding what's happening in the landscape and how you can kind of have your sense of self have those strong beliefs have that strong identity but also see what's happening and how you can kind of be resilient and adapt uh, so i think yeah having that balance is is a really key thing and i'm glad that you kind of reiterated that and emphasized that so the last question now um
2: We've got students who have ambitions to be self-employed or even work on a freelancing basis. So we've got our students, some of them want to be freelancers, have ambitions to start their own business. What attributes do you think that the industry is demanding with regards to diversity and inclusion and taking or embracing these people's identities?
0: I feel like I'm just dodging the question in a way, but I think a key factor is knowing your worth and valuing your worth in the right way and what i mean by the right way is that sometimes um especially the beginning of our careers we can try and uh like we throw out these big numbers and sometimes they'll land that's great but also it's going in there with a confidence in knowing your value in the work that you can do um so that you're not taking advantage of i think that's for yourself but it's also a, a lot more companies in the creative space are getting on board that train I think they want you to come with that level of authenticity um i think as well before as i was saying like you know to being adaptive reactive but present i think that's what we want from not just emerging talent but also established talent we want you to be able to walk into a space and actually know that something's not always going to be as it's been prescribed and actually being able to adapt in those moments actually that shows a resilience That shows the depth and it shows that you've got the ability to grow. Um, And I think personally, those are the kind of attributes that, you know, I look for in people that I employ or that I work with. um, Because but also it's actually a key word for me here is collaboration. I think, you know, years ago, I wasn't necessarily so much in that collaborative space. I like to work quite solo. Um, But actually, collaboration is key to everything I do now because it can't just be my voice. It can't just be my opinion. I need to bring in people who have the right skills and the right abilities that counteract mine in the right way possible. So being that person that can walk into a room and that can actually collaborate with others is such an efficient skill to have. Because, again, I think it puts you leaps and bounds ahead of other people who actually don't always come in with that mindset. So I think that's all I'd add there.
1: Can I just come in off the back of that? Um, I think what you said is absolutely amazing and one thing I'd like to add to that is spend the time to do the work to know what your value is spend the time invest in yourself know what you bring to the table and it's okay not to know it's okay to go on a little bit of a journey to understand what you are actually authentically bringing and just like you said Daniel is having that mindset do a bit of work into what growth mindset is. When you start out, you might have rejections. Learn how what your triggers are. Learn how to use that into a capacity-building mindset and moving away from this fixed mindset. Do the work and it will pay you back in absolutely spades when it comes to things like collaborating. Because if you know what your trigger is, that you sometimes feel like, oh, I feel like I should be doing this by myself and using that your own challenge and your own mindset to challenge your own worth and where you you are going with your mindset. That will be the best thing you could ever do in any industry that you ever land in um, along with everything else. But put in that time, do the work, go deep. You might find things you don't like, but that's all OK. You can work through them.
4: Um, I think what i would say is to always go into everything with an open mind um it's really important to have transferable skills like you can't just be good at one thing because there it is a really competitive market it always has been and it always will be if not even more so now um i think like be willing to do work outside of work i know it sounds really intense and we don't have that mentality um necessarily but my background wasn't at all in the creative industry in fact I studied politics and ended up in the creative industry by accident and it was just because I was willing to come and help on a set or I had conversations with the right people it is like really about shooting your shot and being open if there's someone you admire find out their email drop them an email chase them up on LinkedIn I think you do have to be hungry um, for this kind of industry and space and I think Um, the creator economy and Instagram and these kinds of platforms make it look really easy. Um, I would definitely say utilise those platforms as well, Um, share your work, um, use it as a platform for networking, it's definitely gotten me where I I am now. Um, Also like freelancing might look glamorous but if that's the way that you want to go, definitely have a financial plan together, like when you come from a marginalized background, you're not always told to like financially plan the same way because sometimes our parents are just literally struggling to get food on the table, meet, you know, um, ends meet at the end of the month. So like think like, what are my monthly costs gonna be? Am I going to be able to freelance? Am I gonna have to take a side job on to be able to do all the creative things that I want? When I was I was finishing off my master's, I was working in a laundrette and I was working on Muslim sisterhood at the same time. Obviously working in a laundrette, um isn't the most glamorous job and I had a big degree from LSE that I wasn't utilizing at the time, but you have to work out like what is worth it for you and what sacrifices are you willing to take? Um, don't have too much pride, um, be able to like take criticism and without getting offended, be able to let go of things even when they're deeply personal. Um, help people and be kind to people because that in itself will come back to you and those people will remember well actually this person helped me out then um I'll help them out now um also I think like I know without sounding too soft be really protective of your mental health and your boundaries um know what your limits are if you for example like if you find social media really overwhelming. Work out what time you can spend on social media, what time you're going to work on your practice in real life and how you're going to do those things. I think a huge skill that a lot of young people um, should brush up on is being able to um, relay their message and what they're about in an eloquent way. I think it's really important to be able to speak about yourself and your work and your practice eloquently and succinctly um, and be able to get your point across. I think these are all key skills to have. and just to echo um, everything else that was said, know your worth, but don't come across too pushy, be able to like negotiate and compromise and work out what the value exchange is like, is this worth it for exposure? Is this worth it for the contacts that I'm going to get? Is this worth it for, I don't know, a job later on in the line? Um and be persistent follow up on emails even if someone doesn't respond follow up on dms be annoying like what's the worst that could happen someone will say no and you keep it moving um it shouldn't come as an attack on your pride because if you're really about it if you're really hungry you will do whatever you have to to get there
2: thank you so much thank you very much to all three of you for contributing to this podcast um this evening Um, just to echo what you guys have said with regards to knowing your worth and embracing your identity and ensuring that you're not too pushy, but at the same time, being true to yourself, being true to others and being persistent in your career journey, whatever that may be, whether that be um, having ambitions to start your own business or even going into the industry to get a job. Thank you very much, all of you. Thank you very much for your contribution. So from myself, from Asia and our guest speakers today and the rest of the Graduate Features team. Thank you very much for listening and take care. Bye-bye.